You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Tonight, I'm praying God will use the Bible to encourage us. And I'm also praying that as I preach through this very familiar Bible story that God will help us to see it, maybe in a way that we don't always see it. There is more to 1 Samuel 17 than just a story for Sunday school and just a story for little people. There's a great truth, many great truths really, but there's a great truth contained in the story, a type, a picture that I think will be an encouragement to us tonight, and I want to see it. Pastor already made mention that he's been preaching on the last several Sunday nights on the world, the flesh, and the devil. On Wednesday nights, I'm kind of paralleling that and preaching on spiritual warfare, and all of it kind of just meshes together because we understand that is our battle, and that is what we're facing and what we're fighting. I know this, that oftentimes as a preacher, we don't really major on that. And the reason for that is it can be overwhelming. And whenever you start to talk about those things, if we're not careful, we start to even compile it and we make things up and we look for things that aren't even there and everything that goes wrong, then we give credit to the devil and he doesn't even know where we are at the moment. And we say, there it was, the devil made my CD player skip or whatever it is, you know, and just we, we, get, we get uptight about it. And tonight what I'm hoping to do is to kind of ease that if you feel kind of overwhelmed about this thing and if you think, well, this battle's too big for me, let me stop you right there and say, you're right. It is far too big for you or I. But I'll I'll say this in the message, and I said it Wednesday night, but I'm saying it for a a purpose. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. We're not fighting to see if we win. We're just fighting until we just make it out of here and we we win. We're on the winning side. I like the old song, if I go or if I stay. I'm a winner either way. It doesn't matter. We've already won. Take your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to read in verse 46, and we'll read down uh, through verse number uh, 54. And we'll go through the entirety of this story, and uh, you'll have to bear with me as I preach the story that you know, and then I'll make the application at the end. Verse number 46, look what the Bible said. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. It's about to be a good day for God's people. And I'll smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I'll give the, or give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. By the way, that's a contrast The entire army of Israel ran from the giant, and David is racing toward the giant. There's something different about David. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. I like that. That's country talk, isn't it? He he slang that thing. He slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, And smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. So David demobilized the giant with a stone that he brought 
and he decapitated the giant with a sword that he'd brought. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistine until they'll come to the Philistines until they come to the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharim, uh, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. I like verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. For 40 days, this giant has taunted, tempted, scorned, and mocked the people of God. More than just challenging them, he was challenging God. This is not a battle between the Philistines and Israel. This is a battle between righteousness and unrighteousness. And this man who embodied everything anti-righteousness has mocked the people of God for 40 days. 40 in your Bible is a time of tempting and trial. Jesus was tempted 40 days uh, of the devil. For 40 days this goes on. David in due time shows up to the battle. David, a small man, doesn't look like he'd be very much of a challenge for the giant. He's not a soldier. He's a shepherd. David shows up, and David goes forth to battle, and David wins the battle, and he holds the giant's head in his hand. Holds it up to signify, I've won the victory. For 40 days, 40 nights, these men were scared to death, frantic, overwhelmed even. Every time they heard that lion roar there in that valley, scared them to death. You know what that's called when somebody's frantic? They've lost their head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your cool. You ever heard him say that? Don't lose your head. I want to encourage the child of God. It is not time to lose your head. Let's just leave that to the devil. That's what I'm going to preach on tonight. Don't lose your head. Leave that for the devil. We fight an enemy tonight who's already lost his. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us this evening. Help us to see this truth and give me liberty is what I need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've heard the song. I know my, I know my son knows it because he sings it at home sometimes. But it says, only a boy named David, only a little sling. Only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. Only a boy named David, only a rippling brook. Only a boy named David, but five little stones he took. And the song goes on to tell the story till the giant came tumbling down. But tonight there is more to this story than David being just a little boy with a little sling and a few little stones killing a giant. There's a great picture for us here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, we, we've heard this before, and we're all aware of the fact that we are in constant conflict and in a very real spiritual battle every day that we live on this side of eternity. We've heard it preached the last three Sunday nights that we will battle and we must deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The attack that is against us is overt, and sometimes it can seem overwhelming. If it's not the fiery darts from dark sources, then it's the weakness of our flesh. And if it's not the frailty of our flesh, then it's the atmosphere of the world that tempts us every single day. I think that's what the songwriter had in mind when they penned, tempted and tried. We're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. And we ask questions like that. Why am I having these thoughts? Why am I facing this trial? Why are these things happening to me? Why does it seem like everything is in such opposition to what I believe? And the answer is really simple. The answer to that is this. We are not home yet. We are on the battlefield for our Lord. And every day that we live in this world, it will be a battle. A preacher from the 1800s said this. The world is a military expedition. It's an eternal conflict. Now think about war with me. In war, danger is naturally elevated. Physical injury 
is elevated. Mental and emotional injury is elevated. There's more tension, there's more stress, and there's more uncertainty in war than in times of peace. That's where we're living today. We're living in a moment where the cause or the opportunity to be injured in many different ways is elevated. We're living in a place that is anti-you and I if you live for God in every single way. Think about natural, physical war. A person who is normally calm and controlled can become frantic and impulsive in battle. A person who is strong and powerful can find themselves too fearful to even lift a finger in battle. A level-headed person can become absolutely crazy when bullets begin to fly past their head and the bombs burst around their body. In war, there is carnage. In war, there is catastrophic injury. And in war, sadly, there are casualties. Rational decision-making can give way to irrational behavior when the battle is on. What I'm saying is this. In war, it can be easy for the most solid soldier to lose his calm, to lose his cool, or to lose his head. Now, there's no question tonight that we are living in the last days. And there's no question that the last days are characterized as being perilous times. But I'm glad tonight that in these last days and in these perilous times, we shall have a precious truth that we can turn our eyes upon to remind us that we're not going to be on the winning side. We are already on the winning side. Now, most often when a preacher preaches on spiritual warfare, the majority of his messages are to the Christian. And the challenge is, be a good soldier. The challenge is, go out and champion the cause of righteousness and be valiant on the battlefield. Now, that's not wrong. In fact, I think it's right. And I do that on Wednesday nights, and he's done that on Sunday nights. And there's plenty of Bible to back that up. It's not wrong preaching, but it is only half of the story. There is more to spiritual warfare than you and I trying to be like a David standing before the giant of the world, flesh, and the devil. There is something much bigger and much better than that. There is a gift to us from God, a consolation, if you will, in spiritual warfare. And it is this. You do not have to be like David. The truth is you already have a David. Now, I said this on Wednesday night. Tonight, I am not fighting for victory. I am fighting from victory. I am not championing a cause. I am part of a cause that already found its champion. Tonight, what I'm saying is this. Don't lose your head. Just leave that to the devil. In these days of wickedness and in these days of gigantic opposition to everything Christian, what an anchor to the soul and what a joy to the heart it is to remember that Jesus is our champion. There is more to David than him just being a soldier. There is more to David than little people can do big things for God. There is more to David than only a boy named David, only a little sling. In David I see not what I can do, but what Jesus already did for me on the 
battlefield. You see, this is more than a story about an underdog Jew killing an oversized Gentile. There's more to it than that. The answer tonight is this. For you and I engaged in conflict, we have to remember that as David brought victory to the camp of Israel, Christ has already come and delivered victory to you and I that are born again. We have a shepherd that became a soldier and one day he'll be crowned king and he entered down into a valley on our behalf and he decisively won the battle and bought the victory. So don't be discouraged and don't be overwhelmed and don't hang your harp on the willow tonight. Don't lose your head. Don't get frantic. Don't get nervous. Don't get unsettled. We're on the winning side. I wonder tonight how it was that the Apostle Paul kept his head in what he lived through. I mean, all the pressure, all the pain, all the persecution, every step of his Christian life, what kept Paul serving and shouting and singing and preaching the gospel? I think it's in 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see, how did he keep his head? He told us in Romans 8.38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I believe he gave us the answer in Colossians 1.18 that in all things he might have the preeminence. I think he gave us the answer in 1 Corinthians 15.57 but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You say how did he keep his head? He kept his eyes on his David. How have Christians throughout history kept their head when they went through perilous times? You can find out by listening to their songs. I believe the answer is found in the lyric, I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giving, giveth me songs in the night. I believe you find it in the song, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide until the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I believe you can find it in the lyric that says a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my birth away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. Probably the song that embodies it the best is a mighty fortress is our God where it says did we in our strength confide our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus it is he. It goes on to say the prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. You see, how they keep their head? Listen to their testimonies. Here's what Stephen said. Behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Here's a third century martyr who said, there's but one king I know. It's he I love and worship. Christ is on my lips. Christ is in my heart, and he is king. Often the greatest encouragement is not hearing something new. So tonight I'm not going to preach anything you don't already know. But the greatest encouragement often comes from hearing something that you've heard a thousand times before. That's why the songwriter said, I love to tell the story to those who know it best. Tonight on the winning side is more than our song. 
That is our position in Christ. So tonight I want us to look here in 1 Samuel 17 and allow God to refresh our memory. And I'm preaching on this. Don't lose your head. Just leave that to the devil. We're going to be all right in this thing. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we step into the valley of Elah. And we're in a conflict between two opposing kingdoms. This chapter is a chapter of adversarial opposition to God's operation, if you will. It's a chapter of righteousness engaging unrighteousness. It's a chapter about an anointed king that steps into the valley of battle and defeats the enemy. Now, as you consider the chapter, you have to consider in the historical context, the immediate context. Israel is led by King Saul, and they're facing off with the Philistines. Now, you read the passage, and we can look at it here in just a minute. It begins by telling us that mountains surround the perimeter of the valley. Look with me here in verse number 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. Verse 3, and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. So picture it in your mind. To the north, you have the army of God. From the south, you have the army of the Philistines. In between these two opposing forces stretches out a valley. In order to engage in battle, either side would have to descend from on high and come down and fight in the valley below. The Philistines are the enemies of God. They've been constantly the enemies of God. They're the antithesis to Israel in every area. They're vagabonds. Their name means exiles. They were those who wallowed in the dust. They were expelled. They had no land to call their own. You study the Philistines and find out they're wrapped up in the occult. They're wrapped up in spiritism and worshiping of false gods. They follow soothsayers and witches. Now think about this crowd. They're involved in every kind of evil thing you can think of from their behavior to their belief system. The Philistines are fierce warriors and they have a champion that leads them into battle. His name is Goliath. Now Goliath is their strong man. He's their champion. He represents the collective Philistine nation. What that means is if the Philistines are exiles, he is the chief exile. If the Philistines are worshiping devils, he's the chief worshiper of the devils. If the Philistines have a lust for blood, he is the chiefest with a lust for blood. He is the embodiment of all those that stand against and oppose the people of God. The Bible says Goliath is from Gath and he is a giant. So Goliath has some bad blood coursing through his veins. Now as we read the story, Goliath has come down from the mountain. He's been brought down from that mountain into the valley. He begins to prowl around the valley. He stands and begins to scorn and mock and threaten the people of God. When you look into Goliath, there's several things to note, and I'm going to apply this in a minute, so just stay with me. In verse 4 through 10, you read about Goliath. You read about his status, he's their champion. You read about his stature, he's big. You read about his suit, he is armored. You read about his spear, he's got some weapons, and then you hear about his scorn, he taunts God's people. The Bible said that Goliath is six cubits in height, over nine feet tall, he's daunting. Too big for an ordinary man to kill. He's got six pieces of armor. By the way, that's how many pieces of armor you and I should have as Christians. He's got a counterfeit for everything we have. The Bible said that his armor is pieced together chain mail, looking like scales on his body. He has a spear 
600 shekels, 40 pounds. You notice in the statistics, six cubits and six pieces of armor, 600 shekels. So Goliath has three sixes that characterize him. Israel's led by a king, though, a man named Saul. Saul's been appointed to be Israel's king because they cried out for a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. He's settling. That's what he represents. By the way, the flesh always settles for less than the best. Amen, right there. And they wanted a champion of their own. So here's what it is. Saul looked good because he was tall. He was athletic and he was successful. But Saul proves to be weak in many ways. And as you study the chapter, you find Saul was unable to bring any kind of victory to the people of God because he was too fearful and frail. For 40 days, Israel endures the mocking torment of this man named Goliath. He's mocking them, and he's mocking their God. 40 days. Now, back in 1 Samuel 16, something significant has taken place. It's sort of been overlooked and out of sight and out of mind from the nation of a, as a whole. But there's this little fellow, this little ruddy boy, this son of Jesse. In chapter 16, he's been anointed as the next king of Israel. David is a a king who's yet to inherit a throne. In chapter 13 of this book, the Bible says that the Lord began to seek him out a man after his own heart. He begins to send Samuel out to get the next king of Israel lined up. Samuel goes and he visits with Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. They bring the sons of Jesse before Samuel. There are many older and many well-built, better than David would be, but none of them will do. Can you see it? There's that preacher standing and he sees those boys and he's looking for a king. He's looking for a deliverer and he sizes them all up and says they look good but they won't do. He's got some strength but he won't do. He might be cunning in some ways but he'll never do. And he says, Jesse, surely you've got another son. He said, I have another one. He's kind of, he's young and ruddy of a fair countenance and he's out there watching some sheep in the wilderness and said, fetch him for me. And then David comes and the Holy Spirit of God signifies to the preacher that is the next king of Israel. You read about David. There's several things. David, his name means the beloved. David is beautiful in his countenance. He's fairer than the children of men. He's loved by the Father and he loves his sheep. There could not be two men any different than Saul and David. Saul was chosen by casting lots. David was chosen by the Spirit of the Lord. Saul was trying to hide from his duty among the stuff when he was called to be king. But David was out serving his father's sheep when he was called to be the king. You'll find Saul was admired for how he looked. David was admired for what was in his heart. Saul had a throne that was taken away. David has promised a throne that will never be taken away. Numbers in the Bible are very important and I'm going to tie all this together so you just got to listen. Numbers in the Bible are very important. The number eight, David in this chapter is the eighth son of Jesse. Eight in your Bible is the number of new beginnings or new birth. So here's David, the beloved son of his father, this son of the new birth, the son of a new beginning. In 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel visits the house of Jesse, and by the leading of the Lord, he takes that horn of oil and he anoints David's head. You say, where did that happen? That happens in Bethlehem. Nobody made any fuss about it. Most people overlooked it. But there in the silence of Bethlehem, in the back country of that small, obscure, 
obscure little city, the next king of Israel has been anointed. Now you'll find that David's anointed three times. He's anointed in 1 Samuel by his, uh, by, in Bethlehem. He's anointed in 2 Samuel by his brethren. And he's anointed in 2 Samuel 5 again by the elders. He's anointed in front of his father. He's anointed in front of his kinsmen. And then he's anointed in front of his kingdom. Now here it is. David is a king, but he doesn't have a throne yet. So he goes back to tending the sheep of his father. In 1 Samuel 17, in verse 17, look at it with me. Jesse sends David to the battlefield. And Jesse said, by the way, it was the word of the father that sent David to the battle. And in due time, he sent him. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten, and he didn't come empty handed. That's a good thing right there too. And, and, uh, and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren. So here it is. The battle's already set in array. Israel's fighting, but they're fighting the wrong battles. That's where the average church in America spends all their time. They fight on the internet and never spiritual warfare. Amen. They fight with each other and never fight the adversary. Israel's fighting to make it look like they're doing something, a whole lot of commotion and no, no, no progress whatsoever. And David shows up to the battlefield and sees all these secondary battles coming. Now, something interesting, in verse, and I, uh, I hope it's interesting to you, but there's something interesting when you look in this chapter. David is no longer called the eighth son of Jesse, but now he's called the seventh son of Jesse. So somewhere along the way, one of those other boys must have died. So now that son of the new birth comes the seventh son, and seven is the number of completion or perfection. So he's a perfect son and the son of a new birth, and he's the most beloved son of his father. Now, for 40 days, Goliath has been mocking. For 40 days, Goliath has been tormenting. For 40 days, he's walking about that valley, seeking whom he could devour. He says, send me out a man that he might fight for uh, you and fight with me. He wants a man to stand between Israel and the opposition every day, every night, over and over, on and on. In verse 23 through 33, David shows up and becomes despised by his brethren. Look what it said in verse 23. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines, the champion of the Philistines Gath, of Gath, or the Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man? That's the problem with most Christians. They're looking at the wrong man. Have you seen this man? That has come up, surely to defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. But watch what David does. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistines and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's got a different reaction. He's facing the same fear. He's facing the the same giant. He's facing the same death and it doesn't scare him at all. Death scared every other soldier, but death did not scare David. David is there voluntarily and he's laying his life on the line. He's saying if you want somebody to go fight, I'm going to lay myself down and say I'll go fight. Now his brethren look at him and say you're here because you're full of pride. The oldest brother, that's just how they are. A little bit jealous of his own fear and David's courage. He said I know why you've come. You've come to just be naughty. You've come because you're full of pride and his brethren despise and reject him. And then Saul does the same thing. Saul's the carnal man type of the flesh. 
he begins to look at David, size him up and say, I don't think you're enough. I don't know if you can do this thing or not. I, I, I don't care about what you have to say. He said, I'm a little bit worried, and I like it. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David, in verse 34, responds, I like that. David said, I don't care what Saul has to say about it. I don't care what my flesh has to say about it. I don't care. I don't care what the world has to say about it. I don't care what these uh, backslidden fellows, soldiers that won't fight, have to say about it. I, I, I've got something on my eyes. He said, "Is there not a cause?" He said, "Isn't there a cause through the fear and the fog of war? Is there not a cause? I've been ridiculed and doubted and despised by my brethren. They accuse me of pride and ulterior motives, but still I'll fight for them if you'll let me go." Saul joins in, I said, he doubts David's abilities. Here it is, Saul has a hard time yielding to David. Saul has a hard time decreasing and letting David increase. By the way, that's still true tonight in my life and in your life. He said, I don't know about this thing. I don't know if you're sufficient to win the battle. Verse 34, I like this. We read it. He said, look at what it says. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept thy father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. That's why we preach against facial hair. It's biblical. I didn't realize that. There should be no lions with beards. Amen. But anyway, and, and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew, and that was being sarcastic. But anyway, thy servant slew both, they can have him if they want. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. You know what he's saying, Saul? I've been doing things you don't even know about. I've been fighting battles you don't even know about. I've been taking care of enemies you don't even know about. I've been out there tending some sheep, protecting some sheep back there, feeding those sheep and guiding those sheep. I mean, I've been guarding those sheep, and you don't even know about it because you've been over here worried about yourself. I've been out there working while you've been over here whining about not being able to defeat Goliath. So finally, in verse 38, Saul consents. It's hard to decrease. Saul, de I'm looking forward to the application. But anyway, Saul consents to let David face off with Goliath. But here's what the flesh does. He tries to help David out. Now, David, I'm willing to let you fight. Just let me aid you in battle. Can I say something? God doesn't need your help or my help to win the battle. He doesn't need you to set the mood or create the atmosphere to bring revival. He doesn't need anything for you. We don't have to push any buttons, pull any strings, have a bouncing ball or a big screen or any kind of band to have revival. God doesn't need us at all. God can fight the battle on his own. You don't have to wrap your armor around God. Verse number 38, look at what it says. Let's read it. And Saul armed David. Now, David's little. He's not, as, he's not as built as Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. And Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he tried, that's the word, assayed to go, for he had not proved it. He said, I, I'm trying to go, but then he halted. He said, I'm not going to go with these. Can you see little David? I mean, David's a smaller man, and Saul's a bigger man. He's never worn that armor before because he's never needed it before. David's had the Lord on his side. He doesn't need that. And, and he goes out and tries to fight. He got, I, I just don't feel comfortable being wrapped up in what Saul's wrapped up in. I just don't feel comfortable being adorned the way Saul's been adorned. It's too big. It doesn't fit. It's not tailored. I don't like the sword. And he takes it off and said, I don't need what you you have to offer me just let me go and fight he said all right go ahead David cast his armor aside isn't that a blessing David cast the cast his armor aside it didn't do anything didn't do anything to him here's all it did all Saul's armor did for David is bind him up and slow him down so David Goliath has already descended that exile that man who 
is not even in control of the country he's trying to torment, has already descended. So in order for David to fight the battle, David has to go from on high to down low. So David's up on that mountain with the rest of the army of Israel, and he begins his descent from on high down into that valley to face off with Goliath. Can you see it? Goliath's over nine feet tall, and David, I don't know how tall he was, but not very big. And that champion of the Philistines, muscle-bound, big fella, mean, a man of war, scarred up, looks up yonder on that mountain, and he sees this little youth, this ruddy fella. He hated David when he looked at him. Couldn't stand him. You know why? Because David was everything he wasn't. David was pure. David was innocent. David was beautiful. David wasn't a bloody man at that point. David, uh, David was ruddy. That means that he spent all that time out there in the field. He had that red complexion about him. You know what that is when you get the, your cheeks red? That's the blood. And he could look on him and see the blood on his face. But anyways, he sees David. He doesn't like anything about him. He said, what in the world is this? You're going to send this little fellow down to fight with me? And as David goes down that mountain, he picks up, the Bible said, five smooth stones from a brook of water. Now, there's a brook of water there that runs through that valley, and he pulls those stones up out of that. And I thought about that. In one hand, he's got that shepherd's rod. It's a shepherd. But now Goliath's made him become a soldier. In the other hand, he got a sling. He reaches down and pulls out those stones. You know what those stones are? Stones are the physical manifestation of the water. You say, what do you mean? It's the water that shaped it into that shape. You know what stones are? Think about this. They were, they were there in Elah before that day of battle. They'd been there long before Goliath. Amen. What about this? I like the fact he picked up five. You know why? Because there was more than enough to ensure victory and even more victory than what he needed. And then I like the number five because that's the number of grace. He reaches down and picks up those five smooth stones. In verse number 42, the Bible says, Goliath begins to disdain David. He hates him. He hates his beauty. I said, the fact he has no blemish, he personifies everything Goliath wishes that he was, but he wasn't. Goliath can't believe that David would come at him with just a stone and a sling. And he sees David walking on the battlefield. And David said, I'm not coming with just a stone and a sling. He said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. He said, I've been a shepherd. I've been a singer. But today I'm going to be a soldier. He said, Goliath, you've mocked us, but no more. You've tormented us, but no more. You've taunted us, but no more. You've troubled us, but no more. You've boasted, but no more. You've run your mouth, but no more. You've struck fear in our hearts, but no more. Verse number 48, look at it. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Can you see it there? He's contradicting every commissioned soldier. He is contradicting every enlisted man. He's not been drafted. He's not been charged to fight. He is a volunteer that put his life on the line and he races toward the adversary. It's hard to tell how many men had run the other way and it's hard to tell how many men had fallen at the feet of Goliath on other battlefields. I'd say his sword had gallons of blood that had dripped off its blade as other men had tried to stand there in his daunting shadow. But David was not scared. David was not worried. David was not fearful. His boot, Goliath's boot, has on the neck of many a strong man but he's about to meet a man that he's not going to take down. Goliath is a towering oak and David's a root out of a dry ground. I can, see, I can see this battle unfolding in my mind as that little boy walks up to that big giant, Goliath and that man who carried his shield walks out on the battlefield two opposing kingdoms. It is righteousness against unrighteousness it is death against life it is good versus evil it is truth versus 
heir. There's a champion on this side and there's a champion on that side. In verse number 49, the Bible said David gets down into his script. I'm glad he had something up his sleeve, amen? And he pulls a stone out of his shepherd's bag. He loads it in that sling, not a slingshot, but a sling. And he takes that sling and he winds it around several times and with pinpoint accuracy, guided, I believe, by the good grace of God, that stone leaves the sling and it says in verse 50, that it, verse 49, verse 50, that it hits Goliath in the forehead. He had a helmet, but it left a hole in his forehead. Didn't cover his head enough. David smites him in the forehead. Goliath with that stone sinking into his forehead like you would see a stone sink into the sea falls forward at David's feet. Every knee shall bow. He falls down at his feet. David runs toward that giant while the dust is still rising and the blood's pouring out of his forehead. And David stands on his carcass. He doesn't just lay at his feet. He puts him under his feet. Amen. Oh, my. I can hear as the armor clings and clangs as that giant falls to the ground and David grabs the sword out of the sheath that's on Goliath's side and with his own sword, he stands on the carcass of that old beer-bellied glute Goliath and he takes that sword and brings it crashing down on his neck and that little boy from Bethlehem, that son of Jesse, that anointed king, that shepherd who's turned into a soldier, cuts the adversary's head right off of his shoulders and then he reaches down and he grabs a big handful of that that old black hairy head of Goliath and he lifts his head up high and he said, fellas, you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to cry anymore. You don't have to be fearful anymore. You don't have to doubt it anymore. You don't have to run anymore. I got his head in my hand. Today the battle's over. Today the victory's been won. Today the enemy's been conquered. Today the adversary has a fallen. No more tor torment. Goliath is dead. No more threat. Goliath is dead. No more taunting. Goliath is dead. No more testing. Goliath Goliath is dead. The battle is over. There's no bite in the bark. There is no sting in the hiss. There's no muscle in the attack. And then the Bible said in verse 53, they spoil the strong man's house. They go in the camp of the Philistines and spoil it all. Now let me apply it and let's shout a minute and go home. Now as thankful as I am for what David did then, I'm a million more times thankful for what Jesus did or my David did for me way back at Calvary. And today, as you and I trudge through the battlefield of spiritual warfare, you want to go back to the day the battle was won for us on an old rugged cross. You see, tonight, all of history pivots on the hinge of Calvary. That's where history pivots from law to grace and justice to mercy and darkness to light and death to life. In Genesis 3.15, the promise was made. When God said, and I'll put enmity between thee, talking to the devil, thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bring bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In Galatians 4, 4, I read, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. From that moment between Genesis 3, and when the Son of God came, sin mocked and tormented the people of God. The devil prowls like a roaring lion, and he's daunting, and he's mocking, and he's threatening, and he cried, give me a man that we might fight together. Send me somebody. And God provided some somebody. 
buddies. There was a Noah, and there was an Abraham, and there was that earthly David. There was a Moses and an Elijah. There was an Isaiah and a Jeremiah. There were Ezekiels and others that stood, and they fought a good fight, but they weren't the right man. And the devil said, I said, send me a man. There's got to be someone to stand between me and you, somebody who can fight the fight on your behalf. John 7, 42, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 10, 7, lo, I come to thy will, O God. I'm glad for that day in Bethlehem. It might have been obscure and overlooked that a baby was born unlike any other. Jesus was born by the Holy Ghost conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he came to be the Savior of mankind. I'm glad that day our David was born in that stable. Thank God, ready for the battle. The beloved Son of the Father, fairer than man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. In 1 Corinthians 15, it said, For he must reign, to have put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. On Calvary, spiritual warfare was settled. When Jesus hung and bled and died on the cross, he got the victory secured for you and I. We're frantic about it and worry about it sometimes. I don't think I can win this battle. I don't think I can overcome. And you're already an overcomer. You're already a conqueror. You're already a champion because you have a champion who's already won the battle on our behalf. I just want to say, don't lose your head. It's already been handled. Amen. Your sin debt has been handled. Your condemnation has been handled. Your judgment has been handled. Uh, your death penalty has been handled. Your hell has been handled. Your separation has been handled. Your stain has been handled. Your slander has been handled. Your scorn has been handled. Your stigma has been handled. Your unrighteousness has been handled. Your bondage has been handled. Your threat has been handled. Your hell has been handled. Your, your grave has been handled. Your, your hell your death has been handled. It's all glory for you and I. The snake has his head cut off. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he is saying, devil, you're finished. He won the victory for us that day on the cross of Calvary. What is our answer in spiritual warfare? It is to yield to our David. You cannot win the battle with your saw. And you're not going to win the battle strictly with your brethren. You're going to have to let David fight your battle. And tonight, every one of us can rest our head on that truth tonight and have faith in the fact, thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much typology in the story between David and Christ that we don't have time for. It's too late. But you can go through that entire story and parallel it with Jesus coming from the backside of Bethlehem in due time, sent by the word of his father, scorned by his brethren, tormented by the flesh. Walking out on that field of battle by carrying an old rugged cross up a hill called Calvary. And no sling and stone, but cross timbers and three nails. And as Jesus was fixed fast to that rough timber and bled and died and cried, it is finished. That's when you and I got put on the winning side. So tonight, let the storm rage on, right? Dark clouds come, they don't worry me. We're sheltered safe in the arms of God. We've got victory in our Lord tonight. Tonight you're struggling along in spiritual warfare. Quit struggling and let David stand between you and your Goliath. Let him. 
Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.